0: This is Cybite, episode 129, for May 6, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SciByte, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over at JupiterBroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather.
1: Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather, happy
0: science to you.
1: Happy science. So, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at Egypt's pyramid construction. Infants with picture books, a USB charger in your shoes, a super speedy star cluster, story updates, curiosity news, and as always take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week.
0: Holy moly, that's quite a show, Heather. Why don't we kick it off with the news? What is our first story today, Heather?
1: The pyramid construction, the giant pyramids in Egypt. Huge blocks of stone being moved and stacked. It's always a curiosity that scientists like to go through and look at exactly how they might have moved them. Right. And now they found something new, sort of. Okay. Where scientists say that they probably pre moistened the sand bef- over the sledge so that it would they would move the move the uh, move them over wet sand. Ah. Uh-huh. So, you know, they're transporting these huge, heavy blocks of stone across the desert. Now, to do that, they placed them on the sledge that workers would, or slaves, would pull across the sand. Mm-hmm. Now, what's kind of been revealed is that what they probably did was make the sand wet in front of the sledge. Because just the right amount of dampness in the sand can actually half the amount of work needed to pull it over.
0: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: What happens is if it's dry, it starts piling up in front of it. So that causes one problem. But in addition, if you add a certain amount of water to the sand, then it starts having um, capillary bridges. Is it some type of thing where, you know, you make sandcastles by having the sand wet to a certain degree and you mm-hmm. can pack it together and it'll actually stand up and make all sorts of crazy things, depending on how awesome of a builder you are. Not like me. And... <laughs> they actually have a picture a pictograph on a uh, that they have found where they see somebody you know hanging over the front of this sled, dumping something so that's probably what they were doing oh yeah or dumping
0: it almost could have yeah i suppose it could have been anything it could have could it could have been dirty water they just have to get the sand wet
1: yeah it just needs to be wet in some way and they can act, they went through and they actually did you know various scientific analysis going um, showing how deciding how much force would be needed to um pull it over sand and various amounts of water to the sand so there's a lot of different things it was uh the tomb of why did I even think about trying to say this guy's name uh, I, I <laughs> I'm not going to butcher yeah. science even anthropological science oh man so but they saw you know pouring water over the sand just in front of it and because of that, they're actually able to use this in some modern-day things, because we're we still don't fully understand the behavior of granular material like sand. Really, there's still some amount that we're like, yeah, really, where it's not the probability and exactly how it acts and it's very specific fun- factors. We're not 100% on the science of it, so research for this can actually still optimize transportation of those kind of of granular materials. And actually, you know, those type of materials make up for about 10% of the worldwide energy consumption. So understanding a little bit more about this would actually be very useful even in today.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, there you go, Heather. A mystery I actually have wondered myself. I've seen a lot of different theories floated. This one makes a lot of sense, plus you got the cave paintings to back it up. That seems like a one-two Tomb combo. Tomb paintings. Tomb paintings. Well, yeah, not, not, like, <laughs> not cave. Sure, different, different thing. Uh, all right, Heather, why don't we uh, pause right there, just, just for a minute. I got something really fun to announce. We just launched it on Monday. Coda Radio just ha- it hit episode 100, and to celebrate, we're doing a limited time Coda Radio 100 edition hoodie and t-shirt. We've got a bunch of really great colors, uh, and. Uh, I really like the red one myself, but there's also black and gray for those of you who like the traditional colors. And there's a ladies' tee as well, Heather, so don't worry. You can get yourself a limited Coda Radio 100 hoodie, t-shirt, or ladies' tee. Just go over to teespring.com slash CR100. 100 episodes of Coda Radio in a row, and we thought, you know, with, with a limit of 100, so the way that works is uh, if, as long as we get 100 sales, they'll print, and then anything over that will also print. Uh, And it's just, it is really just a fun way to, uh, you know, get the fans something that they like for the show or anybody who likes JB Swag to grab something because we're trying to do these from time to time. It's not really going to be a huge revenue generator with the limit of 100, but it's still going to be fun. And I really like that design. It came from uh, our very own Rotten Corpse there in the chat room, who uh, is a pretty talented guy. And he made that up for us. And I really like the way it turned out, especially on the orange and red. I think that looks super sharp. So go over to teespring.comslash CR. 100 it'll be running for one week and five days and then after that no more no more we cut it off right there so uh, go grab it while you can teespring.com slash cr 100 all right heather are you ready for the news bite let's go okay heather what are we talking about in the news bite
1: Researchers have found that babies can learn the connection between pictures and real objects, like a toy and a photograph of it, but the time they are nine months old. Okay. So it, you know, it actually brings up a lot of, um, you know, for a parent or caregiver or whatever, that picture books with an infant, if it is very realistic images, is actually doing a lot, is making connections in their, you know, in their brain. This is what that is. So what they're able to do is they had Thirty-eight and nine-month-olds that they had life-size photos of a toy. They got to look at it for about a minute, and then they were placed. The then what they did was they had the toy from the picture and a different toy, so they could see what the baby's reactions were. In one condition, condition, they just you know let the baby look at the picture of one thing for a little while, then you know draw their attention away and place two toys inside clear containers. Now in that case they, they you know they're trying to see how much ability they were able to kind of to see now in that case specifically, mm-hmm. the baby went for the opposite toy if they could see it think and that means they were you know probably getting bored of what they saw and they wanted the new thing <laughs> which explains a lot and in the case where they were both hidden and then they were able to take the, you know, able to see it. Then they went for the toy that they'd seen saying, hey, that's what I've been looking for. Like, this is the toy I've been looking at. Hey, there it is. But if they were seeing them the whole time, then like, uh, hmm. bored of this. Hmm. I want the new thing.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, yep, science proves what what a lot of us know. We kind
0: of already knew that, but uh, at least we now know there's some sound science behind it. Huh. Yes. No, so, Yes. It- so what does this kind of mean?
1: Well, it means that, you know, even before first birthday, first words, that babies can learn about the real world sort of indirectly through realistic images, photographs, picture books. So they're able to make connections to those things without necessarily seeing them Mm -hmm. right there in front of them. So, you you know, you can show, hey, this is, you know, a bike. This is a truck. This is, you know, for whatever you want to show. And if they see a realistic image, they can actually start making that connection without actually seeing it itself.
0: Right. Well, and it also kind of adds some some sense to uh, studies I've seen where it can be, be very beneficial to children to read to them. And this could be a reason well, yes. why is because a lot of children's books are very heavy on pictures, right? And it's, yeah. a, it's a component to that because they're obviously not reading it. They're just listening. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, Heather. Well, that's applicable to me because uh, our, our, our youngest just uh, hit nine months. Well, guess what, Heather? Good news. The band is here, and they're ready to crank out the 2 byte News. Hey.
1: Hey.
0: All right, Heather, what do we have in the Two-Bite News?
1: The impact of a hiker's heel can actually release enough energy To illuminate a light bulb. Now there's an engineer and an avid backpacker who decided he wanted to capture that. So he created a shoe insole that can store that kind of as electricity to charge USB devices.
0: So it's like those watches that would like charge when you take a step. This is like uh, your shoe charges like what, a battery? Like how does that work?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's using gears. It's not... uh, piezoelectric, which means it's not doing it where you're hitting two things together and it's creating a spark. Okay. So that would be really bulky and kind of inefficient. Yeah, okay. What they've been able to do is shrink this down so that it is um, just a number of, of gears that rotors that say, all right, well, you're here. As your heel strikes down, then it's squashing this drivetrain down. And you spin up these magnetic ro- rotors, and then that spinning of those magnetics induces an electrical current within a coil of wire you Now, what they have it they have a they're not having the battery pack right underneath your heel they're having it as a uh, like a little out exterior pack that maybe tie tied onto your shoelaces mm-hmm. and so then it just has a wire up to there but it says that currently uh you could take about a 15 mile walk to charge a smartphone oh, well, I mean... but they're but they're hoping to do it so that in less than five miles of hiking, um, you could charge an iPhone. But I mean, for long-distance hikers or... Well, you don't
0: even have to charge it. Even if you just kind of help sip power and keep it charged, Mm -hmm. you know, help combat battery drain that smartphones really suffer from, that's even helpful.
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, in this type of case where it's... You're going to have... This is not going to be something where, you know, I necessarily need it, where I'm going to be hiking that far away from electrical outlets mm. but for some people actually you know go mountain hiking here in you know colorado i have know a lot of people who go up in the mountains a lot
0: it could also have some decent military applications yeah, yeah. exactly or uh, really you know what think about like professions like uh waitressing or uh, uh like a nurse or a doctor or oh, yeah where they're walking all the time I mean, there's lots of jobs where people are walking
1: all the time yeah and you could you know there's a place where hey now you can charge anything you know specifically they're talking about you know uh iphone or a phone or whatever but any real usb device that charges off of a usb you could plug it into that
0: that is really cool that is super cool uh and i know uh we, we it's not our only story in the two byte news segment is it
1: no it's not we also have tales of a super speedy star cluster
0: <laughs> wow <laughs>
1: Now, the Virgo Cluster galaxy has ejected an entire star cluster, throwing it at more than 2 million miles an hour. Ooh. Now, we've seen runaway stars before. This is where, you know, something might happen, and it's ejected um, from a galaxy. Now, we have to go really fast in order to... Break away. Beat the gravita- yeah, beat the gravitational needed for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, about one in a billion stars... Travels about three times greater than our sun, and that they can kind of easily escape the galaxy altogether. Now, they we've spied some of those, but this time it is an entire star cluster traveling at about 220 kilometers or 137 miles per second. <laughs> now, we've never really understood completely these hypervelocity stars themselves. But by observing their speed, their direction, you can kind of backtrack where they came from and kind of get an idea of what happened. Now in this case, tracking it back, um, what they can probably tell is what might've happened is that it probably had an interaction with a supermassive black hole. Now that can kick a star away. It Now in this case, what probably happened is it got near something where there's, there might be two supermassive black holes at the center of it made uh, the galaxy itself. Now, what may have happened is it wandered too close to those, mm. which probably pulled off some of the outside uh, stars, so mm-hmm. just the inner tight core of the star clump remained. And then the rest of it used it as a slingshot and just flung it away from the galaxy itself. Hmm. So hmm. it's just the first time we've kind of seen that, where it is an entire group of stars that have been Lung voted off the galactic island.
0: If only there was some way we could harness that for ourselves and propel ourselves with it. Although I feel like the process to get up to speed would be pretty, pretty damaging.
1: <laughs> yeah, you might not have to worry about getting out of speed <laughs> Right. Then. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, you worry about speeding up, don't worry about speeding up. You'll down. travel
0: across the galaxy in billions of tiny little tiny pieces. <laughs> All right, this Heather,
1: well... Uh, science I, needs
0: I got a button I have to press. Now, I okay. have to warn you. I have oh, no. not pressed this button since we have moved to the new studio, and I didn't oh. personally wire this board. Now, oh, I, no. I, I said this wouldn't happen. I said this wouldn't happen, but you. Uh, I, I've had to charge up the time machine this week. This button will either set the time machine's power core into overload overload, and destroy all space-time, or we have some updates. Oh, he's good. Oh, good.
1: I always put that button in the wrong place.
0: I, it, you know what? I get help, and they wire it for me. It's not my fault. It's not my fault.
1: Uh-huh. So, what
0: is our update?
1: All righty, we have got an update about in February. We talked about a piece of medical tech where it's, um, in order to stop. Uh, bleeding from heavy wounds, like uh, stealing a gunshot wound, oh, yes. in 15 seconds.
0: Right, I recall.
1: So, you know what this is? Is you know something happens, and right now, you know soldier shot on the field, or something happens. You pack gauze directly into it, and you just keep packing it in until you hopefully it stops bleeding at one point. Now, what this does is is modified syringe that injects these specially coated sponges into the wound in a very fast way, and then they. Um, sort of, they call it, uh, they were inspired by Fix-A-Flat, <laughs> the tire repairing thing. Aww. So these expand very quickly, and it helps seal off the blood. Now, in February, they were you know, talking. They were trying to get things going, and now they have actually had FDA approval. So they are actually, so now the Army is uh, being able to buy these now.
0: Oh, oh like they're actually going to start using them. Yes. How about they're that? Able to start using them. That, that went fast. Holy smokes.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they'll actually be able to purchase them using it in military uh, purposes. Now, in this case, it's sort of an update because it also got, you know, a invention of the year from uh, popular science. Wow. And also the shoe USB charger that we talked about a few minutes ago.
0: Oh, really? Well, look at that. We got some all stars on the show today.
1: Yep. And Uh-oh. in this case, now they're also looking to have a device to possibly stop uh, postpartum bleeding as well. So they're kind of. Taking it uh, as pieces as they can, and FDA says that it's safe to leave the sponges that they have in for up to four hours, which means it's definitely enough for um, on the field or, you know, even, you know, an ambulance driver or something, some very uh, yeah dramatic injury yeah. that you can use this and it gives you four hours yeah by the FDA approval to get to a, a safe operating room in some place so that is you can- cool.
0: Boy, I like that because, yeah, like you just said, putting it on the putting it on an an, a, an aid car, or you know, even if you just had it like, eventually, if consumers could get it for like a backpack when you go on some sort of crazy trip or something, that's really awesome. Uh, Heather, why don't we go check out our favorite rover? Are you ready? Let's go and lift off of the Atlas Five with Curiosity touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wheel. All right, Heather, what is our favorite rover up to?
1: All righty. We are continuing our step-by-step process towards drilling. They are actually going to drill in the location. Now they're kind of getting ready. They uh, took a couple of tools to examine this site, had a wire bristle brush, the dust remover tool. They cleared away a patch of the rock, and they could actually see that you know the rock is very fine-grained. Its true color is actually much grayer than the surface dust which was interesting, and it has a lot of uh, portions of it are harder than others, so there's this interesting kind of bumpy texture. This is that sandstone, so some of it will be harder than others, which means that we can learn this first of this type that we'll be drilling into on Mars, and also give us a better idea of possibly why the terrain surrounding the rover maybe took its shape. Now, in this case, they're able to make this sort of mini-drill operation, which means it produces a hole about Eight tenths of an inch deep, and kind of lets them get in a better idea of, you know, how tough the rock is, you know, what's inside. So they can start looking at what they've got now, and then start. Um, so you have powdered sample from that. You can kind of decide what you want to take from that, and then possibly get into the bigger drilling section here very soon once they kind of eye the exact spot on the surface of the rock that they'd like to get into.
0: And uh, does it once it has that? Does it scoop it up? Does it yeah, store well, it? So it's not like it just—it's not just taking samples from the drill, but it's also taking samples from the like the dirt that comes out. Uh, no, this
1: when they drill into it, the drill is made such that uh, oh. the flutes actually pull the that makes the sense. sand up. Yeah. The you know the rock up to the cups. Yeah. That. Now, if they want to go out and scoop the. The soil, you know, as they're driving over it, then they have a scoop for that. We've seen that before, but in the drilling, it actually is able to take it from the fluting of the drill itself. Okay.
0: Huh. Very cool, Heather. Well, thanks for the update. Why don't you come and jump in the time machine? It's time to go. Uh, stand by, Heather. This is a big okay. one. <laughs> 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 whoa! 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 Whoa, whoa, is, whoa, 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 this week we're going one thousand one hundred and forty-six years back, May eleventh, eight hundred and sixty-eight. Heather, what happened this week in science?
1: One thousand one hundred and forty-six years ago today, the well, in May eleventh, the first known dated printed, not necessarily oldest, book was was known. The Diamond Sutra it is a Buddhist scripture. It was made as a sixteen-foot scroll. Six sheets of text printed on wood blocks. (laughs) Oh, wow. Now, you know, the sheets themselves were pasted together. Okay. This is the the first dated. We've seen books that are older, but this is the first one that has specifically a date. It is on the book. It's, like, printed on 11 May 868 by Wang Jie for free general distribution. And it was actually, because actually, he's, like, dedicated it to his parents. Aw, and it was about 1130 bundles of manuscripts found, you know, thousands of years later walled up in one of the caves of the 1000 Buddhas in Turkestan. It's actually one of the you know, one of the great treasures in the British Library. Hmm. So it's very interesting that it was dated, you know. I think a lot of books are dated now, you know, you have this the you know, copyright and everything dates, but actually specifically dated on a book.
0: Do you think that indicates they knew it was kind of a big deal?
1: Possibly. Well, I no. mean, it was put in one of the you know that cave of thousand Buddhas, so it's probably specifically known that this is going into a special place, and you know, uh, it may, may not be found. Maybe it's going on to you know, the afterlife or right. whatever they you know believe that it was going forward right. into history for. Yeah. That's so, you know, he's like, I'm going to make this, you know, specific for a date, dedicate it to my parents, wall it up in the wall. Right.
0: Very good. All right, Heather. Well, uh, let me recalibrate the side by 2,000 that way. We can look up into the sky this week.
1: This week, we have Planet Fun. In the morning, we have Venus. hey Look to the east just before and during dawn. You'll be able to see Venus. It is the very bright object out there. You won't be able to miss it if there's clear skies we've got mars hanging about high in the southeast after dark they'll have spica below it uh they'll be at their highest point around 11 p.m daylight savings moving towards the northeast as dawn approaches on friday and saturday may 9th and 10th you'll see mars and spica to the left of the moon mars and Spica are always a good uh good group to see speaking completely you
0: know. right of course
1: yeah, yes. uh, because Mars is nice, orangish reddish object, and you got Spica, which is nice blue white. So, got a nice pairing there. We also got Jupiter, <laughs> hanging around around twilight, high in the southwestern sky, sinking towards the western horizon as the night progresses, setting about 1 a.m. And not to be outdone, Saturn is our shining star this week. In the early evenings, you will going to see it rise in the southeast. It's going to be Going right across the sky, setting in the northwest. Saturn's actually on opposition on Saturday, May the 10th, which means it is directly opposite the sun to us. Hmm. So it is at a bright point in its time, and it's actually going to be seen all night long. So no matter what time of the night you go out to see, you'll be able to see Saturn.
0: That is a great sky. Holy smokes. And as always, Heather has it all listed out right there in the show notes. It really couldn't be any easier because if you see something, now I'm not saying you should do this while you're driving, but have your passenger grab the smartphone, open up the browser, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, look at SciByte 129, and then right there, Heather's got it all laid out for you. Everything that she's talked about, links, more resources, pictures, videos, all that kind of stuff can be found in the show notes. It's really an incredible resource. You guys should check it out, and she does it every single week. That's pretty awesome. Heather, is there anything else we want to cover this week?
1: Not that I can think of.
0: All right. Well, I'll, I'll mention something. We'd like to have you join us live. Go over to jblive.tv. We do this show on a Tuesday at 7 30 p.m. Pacific. You can go to slash calendar to find that in your local neck of the wood time zoney thing. It's time math. And don't forget, you can follow twi- uh, Heather on Twitter. She's JB underscore Mars underscore base. Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week's episode of Side We'll see you right back here next week.